0: Father, there is, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. There is nothing that rivals you. We just sang about that together. You're altogether holy and other, which makes you worthy of all, all the praise that we could bring to you this morning. And yet, you have become like us. You made a life here with us in order that you might save us God, that makes you worthy of the very breath in our lungs this morning. God, thank you for doing that for us. And by the power of your spirit, we who are sinful in need of rescue, we can become more and more like you, a holy God. That's, just, that's incredible truth this morning. What a mysterious thing that is. And, and we want that to be true of us today as individuals here and as a worshiping community to be changed by your powerful word. And so where I speak your word after you, God, as we always pray, I ask that you would change our hearts and minds, encourage us where we need it, convict us where that's necessary, change us, transform us. Where I speak my own things, would those fall away and be forgotten quickly? But we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, the name it is above every other name. Amen. Well, if there's anything that I have come to realize in the last year or so, it is that building projects are a lot of work. A lot of work. Most of you know that we are in the middle of a building project right now. Keep praying for that. Add it, Put it high on your prayer list uh, as, a, as something to be praying to God for. We'd move in in August. That's a specific prayer. But the fact is, I just didn't know what I was in for before this building process. Some of you tried to tell me, you warned me, I think. Uh, I'm I'm just learning it firsthand now. But this past week, I have been in meetings about lighting, meetings about temporary banners, meetings about our stage, meetings to set up meetings, right? So many meetings uh, in the process of this. build. I haven't haven't picked up a single tool, and I am worn out, okay? And we're making good progress, it's exciting to see But it's a complex deal. There's a lot that goes into a building project, coordination and planning and hard work. I'm also almost three years into a 12 month laundry half bath project at my house. Um, I'm learning on that front too. There are moments I've wondered, what have I gotten myself into? Why am I trying to take this on? Building projects are hard work. They take intentional energy, strategic planning, We know that, we all actually understand that, I think, at least in part, about physical structures like houses and church buildings, we get that. But as I've engaged this text this week, I've been wondering, do we take, do I even, take as seriously how much effort and energy it takes in the building of our lives? Because our text this morning is about a building project. Not with studs or drywall or LED lights. It's not that kind of building project. But with the everyday stuff of life. It's about the work and wisdom of building a life that will last in the end. And over the last couple weeks, we, I mean, we've been in the, in the book of Luke, in Luke's gospel, for several weeks now, but over the last two weeks, we've been talking about the kind of community that Jesus is building in the world. What will his people be known for? As he builds this community of followers, what will make them different? And he's been preaching on this for all of chapter 6. And he punctuates the Sermon on the Plain, the end of his teaching, he punctuates it with a a parable that has a powerful metaphor at the center of it. Two houses that depict how we can choose to build our lives. And the question that I want to put to this text, I think the text is asking, of us, that I want to put to it this morning, is simply this, what kind of life will endure? What kind of life will last in the end? As our our days add up to months that pile into years, that turn into decades, if we don't stop and ask questions like that, what kind of life will endure, we may find ourselves constructing a life that cannot withstand what will come, what is on the way. How do we make a life that will last? Jesus says there's one thing we all must do, and there's one major reason we must do it. One thing to do, one major reason to do it. That's the very simple roadmap for, the, for the, what we're about to cover ahead in Luke chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 6. We're in verse 46, just four verses. Katie read all of them. It's a short teaching but it is loaded with meaning, with punch. It's like a stick of dynamite. It's small, but very powerful. So let's read it together. Luke 6, let's start at verse 46. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. Luke writes this, Jesus' words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So Jesus gets to the end of his sermon here. He doesn't mince words. We are, we are at the in-conclusion part of this sermon. And it's not a poem and a prayer. It's not a feel-good ending. It's a warning. A warning in the form of a parable. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson has paraphrased verse 46. It sort of sets the tone and direction of the parable, this is what Jesus, this is how Eugene Peterson paraphrases. It says, why are you so polite with me, always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing that I tell you? It's not complicated, but to Jesus, it's, it's everything. It's the issue of obedience, of hearing and doing. That's the direction that Jesus goes at the end of his of This sermon, it's filled with hard teaching. He says, why do you never do a thing that I tell you? Students, this should sound familiar to those of you who are with us on Wednesdays. It's a lot like where we've been in the book of James. Hearing without doing, saying yes, Jesus, and that's right, Jesus, without obeying him, it's, it's a very self-deceptive thing to do. It's like looking in a mirror, as James says, and walking away and forgetting what you look like. Or it's like this story here that Jesus tells about two men building houses. He says, let me show you two different lives, where they lead, and make it very simple for you. This is just that. It's a very simple story. And I don't know about you, Sometimes I hate it when Jesus makes things simple. <laughs> usually means my life is about to get much harder. Uh, but I want to start with the first builder in this story. Jesus says this, he says, everyone who comes to him, comes to Jesus, and hears his words, and does them. I like the NIV's translation. It says, puts them into practice. I think that's right. They are like a builder who dug deep and built their house on bedrock. This is the guy you want on the job. This is the builder you want. He does good work. He does it the right way. The house that he built takes on water. It stands. This is what good house building looks like. That's Jesus's point. Here, and I, I had to laugh this week uh, it feels like even in my sermon prep, I'm thinking about construction. It's like I just can't get away from it right now in my life, and my work. But it's been interesting to think about building from a first-century ancient Near Eastern perspective because it's there are a lot of similarities. I mean, building today and building them then have that's, there's, there are many similarities to it, but there are also important differences. And Ken Bailey has a work that's been really helpful to me. I commend it to you, Uh, Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes. It's really helpful as as I think about what it's like to be a builder in the first century, because the history and the geography, which would have been assumed by the original hearer, I mean, we can miss it here as 21st century readers. We all know that construction is hard. Building projects are a lot of work. But in that day, building a house could be a life-threatening task, and it would require incredible, immense physical labor, because the only time to build a house in the ancient Near East was during the summer months. Temperatures are warm, the conditions are dry, the ground is dry. You, you couldn't just build a house in the cold and wet like we can today. And along with the hot, dry conditions came soil that's as hard as metal. And the clay in the soil would harden, it would make it in- incredibly difficult to dig into. There's no backhoes or jackhammers, remember? None of that exists in the first century. I don't even like digging a few post holes in spring here in in the Midwest. This is a totally different ballgame even than that. It's incredible work that goes into building a house. But there's only one right way to do it, and that required hard work. There's no way around it. You had to get down to the bedrock to lay a foundation, which meant digging into extremely hard ground, which is why you might be tempted to skip it, like the other guy in Jesus' story who built his house right on the ground. Right, he's thinking, this, this soil is solid as a rock. Right? Why would I waste my time digging when this is just as hard? The ground right here is just as hard as the bedrock underneath. Why would I waste my time? I'm sure, I'm sure it'll all work out. That's the spirit here with the second builder. I'm sure it will all work out. It doesn't work out, right? As summer gives way to winter in the Middle East, the rain starts to fall and the quality of their work, we're told, is exposed. One dug deep, built his house on bedrock. The other didn't. And when the rains came, the houses were put to the test. Only one survived, the one with the foundation. So to our question, what kind of life will endure, Jesus is clear, the life built on a firm foundation. It's the only one that will last. If you want to build a life that will last, you have to dig down to the rock. Now, this lesson is really simple. Okay? Everyone in this room can understand Jesus' teaching right here. It's part of the brilliance of Jesus as a teacher. He makes things simple. But we ought to never confuse simple and easy. I mean, think back to that second builder. The one who skips the foundation. I don't know about you. I mean, we hear the story and think, what an idiot. I mean, At least I do. That's, that's my first thought. I mean, we're not, and we're not wrong. Jesus is clear. He's making a huge mistake. But I judge this guy really hard when I read this story, at least in the first read. Why, why doesn't he just do it the right way? Why wouldn't he dig down to the foundation? If he lives there, if he knows that the winter is coming, why doesn't he just dig to the bedrock? So I started to think about my own DIY life. So my own work, my house projects, things I do, and all the reasons I do poor work. (laughs) It was a humbling exercise, just put it that way. On just about every level for me to think about that. And I wanna share a short list with you, because I think it's instructive for us as we kind of press into this metaphor, you know, this is a really simple, it's a simple idea. If you want want a life that will last, you have to get down to the foundation. Well, why wouldn't you dig down to the foundation? Here's a couple things for me, for my own life. First, uh, ignorance. Uh, One of the reasons I do poor work is because I just don't know what I'm doing half the time. I mean, praise God for YouTube. I don't know how anyone did anything before YouTube, but even that is kind of sketchy, right? You don't know if you're watching someone who really knows what they're doing on there, but my ignorance can be my own downfall, especially if you couple it with inexperience. Ignorance plus inexperience equals really bad work, right? I have very little practice with drywall. It shows. I have more experience with painting with finished carpentry work and it shows. Some things can only be learned and honed and improved with practice, you have to work at it, you need repetition. Third, this is the biggest one for me, hurry and distraction. If I rush through a task, if I try to get it done during halftime or you know a couple episodes of PJ Masks, right? if I, or if I overestimate the time I have or underestimate how much work there is to do, usually those things go together, and then that's a big mess. It doesn't go well. If I don't take the time that it takes to do something well, I won't do it well. Pretty simple, hurry and distraction. Fourth, another big one, pride. For me, to let other people in to see my work is really hard because I want them to think I'm awesome at this thing over here. But the truth is my work would be a lot better If I just invited other people in to help, especially if if I just employed people with more experience than me, right? My DIY work would be a lot better if I just paid someone else to do it. My pride gets in the way of doing that. Fifth, laziness. Sometimes I just don't want to work as hard as the job demands, so I cut cut corners. I do it the quick way, the easy way, right? A little bit of caulk will just fix this, right, (laughs) sort of. Everyone's DIY fix is just like paint over it, you know. And then, lastly, I didn't know what to call this one, so I'm just calling it someday the someday syndrome, (laughs) which I don't think takes a whole lot of explanation. We think I will get to that someday when fill in the blank. And most of us know that someday is much farther away than we intend it to be. And some days, sometimes, someday never comes. Now, that's just 10 minutes of reflection this last week. I'm sure that list could be way longer. But it's not difficult. It hasn't been difficult for me to make the jump from my own work, so my own sort of do-it-yourselfer work, to make the jump from that to, to my life with Jesus and my obedience to him and what I think it takes to build a life. So I want to keep pressing the metaphor, if you'll let me, (laughs) because I I think the reasons for my own poor work have an inverse that can help us get really practical about how to dig down to the rock. Because again, it's very simple. If you want to build a life that lasts, you have to dig down to the rock. You have to actually do the words of Jesus. We have to be obedient to him. But it can be hard to know exactly what that means. So just go with me here. First, we have to fight ignorance by actually listening to the words of Jesus and observing the way of Jesus. That's the foundation. According to him, doing what he has said to do. And we, we can't do what he has said to do if we don't know what he has said, which is rocket science, I know. This is why you guys are paying me the big dollars, to, to make that observation. It's not profound. We need to spend time listening to what Jesus has said. and A, a series like this is a good start. We're taking time to rediscover or to actually slow down with the teachings of Jesus. Making your own time to be with Jesus and what he has taught in the gospel specifically is also a good practice. But we we can't just listen to his words. Jesus. This is his whole point here in this story. We also have to put them into practice. I mean, the only way that you or I will ever become good at drywall is by learning from a drywall or how to do it and then doing a lot of drywall. (laughs) The only way you and I will ever become good at forgiving those who have hurt us is if we learn from Jesus how to forgive and then forgive those who have hurt us over and over again, practicing it, putting into practice the, the words of Jesus now, you, might, you may have as much confidence in your ability to forgive your enemy as you have in your ability to drywall. Both are incredibly difficult. But with some practice, you, you can become a forgiving person. You and I can do that. I don't know if you can become a drywaller. That's, that feels impossible to me. So I don't, no promises there. But you and I can become more like the kinds of people that Jesus has called us to be with practice. But the only way we'll ever have time to put into practice the words of Jesus is if we slow down long enough to be with him. To learn from him, to receive from him his love, his correction, his rest. It requires healthy rhythms of work and rest. I mean, is there a day in, in the week that you cease from achieving so that you can trust God to restore you for the week ahead? We spend an entire Sunday on that. Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. And I don't pose that question as someone who has arrived on this, but really as a fellow struggler. God has gone to great lengths in recent months to teach me to slow down. And I still struggle with that. Struggle with slowing down long enough to follow Jesus. But I, I really do believe that your life and mine will be sturdier if we learn to say no to all the good things around us, so that we can say yes to Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, the person himself. And maybe that starts by saying yes to this community, to gathered worship. As as an antidote to pride, you invite people into your mess so they can see below the surface of a curated life and walk with you I mean, I I don't ask for help because I have a lot of pride in my heart. Maybe actually people might see who I really am. But friends, that's where the bedrock is. Being known and, and still loved by the love of Jesus. But being together in community is hard. All of this is hard. Loving your enemies, turning the other cheek, giving generously without expectation, slowing down. It's all hard. It all takes Work. The builder who skipped the foundation, he looked at all of those things and he said, that's a lot of work. Not worth it. It'll work out. I'm sure it'll be fine. He's right about one thing. Life with Jesus takes hard work. Not to earn your way into favor with him. We, you can't do enough to do that. Praise God you don't have to. His grace is enough. But grace... It's opposed to earning, but but it's not opposed to effort. We say that a lot here. Which means we need to work hard at obeying Jesus. Like, really, work hard at it. Because life with him is worth it. Today, tomorrow, for eternity, it's worth it. And the fact is, there might not be a tomorrow. The, The someday syndrome that delays our house projects will turn your life into a total loss if you're not careful, if you don't take seriously obedience to Jesus, right? We think, I'll I'll cultivate a prayer life someday when the kids are sleeping better, or I'll be a generous person someday when I make a little bit more, or I'll do what Jesus says someday when life settles down but often someday never comes. So digging down in our obedience to Jesus, it involves a greater sense of urgency, a a deeper sense that obeying him is necessary to building a life that will last. Because it's now, or it might be never. When the storms of life come, when the final storm of judgment comes, you either have a foundation or you don't. And if it feels like this just got way more serious, well, good. Because it is serious. And Jesus is driving at a sobering point with this story just before he turns to the crowd and says, go in peace, have a good Sunday. This is where he lands. Why is it so important to build your life on obedience to Jesus? I want to put all these ideas together if you want to build a life that will last, you have to dig down to the rock. And you have to dig down deep because the storms will wash away your life if you don't. You dig because you know the sun will not always shine. The ground under your feet will not always be solid or sound. And if you're building your life on anything other than obedience to Jesus and his words and his way, it will, it will begin to show. Maybe not, maybe not when life is fine and the sun is shining. In fact, these, these houses probably didn't look different, any different when the paint was drying. <laughs> From the curb, they look the same, right? Both have an open concept, stainless appliances, you know, updated bathrooms. Above the surface, they look the same. But when the rainy season comes, the difference is clear. The ground beneath gets soft. or It starts to shift. And your walls begin to buckle and crack. And the roof, it's no longer supported, so there's water coming in there too. And eventually the home just can't stand. It topples. The house on the bedrock, Jesus says, it will stand during the storm during hardship, during pain, during loss, during adversity. Even in the face of death itself, that house will stand. But without a foundation, the hardships of life and of death will destroy us. And according to Jesus here, the rainy season is not a matter of if, but of when. He assumes it. And I want to notice something together. This is, it's an important difference between kind of the way Jesus teaches about the good life and what we often maybe assume to be the good life. Whether we would say it or not, we, th- we often think that the good life is the hardship-free life. It's the one free of worry, free of loss, free of storms. Almost like we think maybe Jesus left out like an example in this story, you know, Jesus, can't there be a third guy who just like flies south for the winter, you know? Can't there be a vacation home guy that avoids the storms? Is that one of the options that we can choose for the life that we build? Like maybe we can just avoid the rain, you know? If we just mitigate all the risks, good strategy, good execution, the right job, a safer home, enough life insurance, a solid plan. That can do it. We can withstand the storms of life with a, a good plan. Or maybe we think I'll just we can just maybe drown that drown it out. With addictive behavior with alcohol, with the internet in general, we try to just deal with the pain and the hardship and the grief by just escaping it or numbing it. Or maybe a scarier one on the other side of the spectrum, one that many of us in this room may be susceptible to. We build our lives on the foundation of trying to be good, moral enough people, thinking that if we do that, if we just avoid enough sin, if we're just faithful enough, maybe God won't send the storms. Maybe it, you know, the storms will go around our lives. But of course, there's no third builder. Jesus is clear. You build your life on me or you build your life on not me. And the storms that will most certainly come will bear it out, will show your work. And it's not just the hard things in life, though I think those storms, that's in view here for this parable. But really, it's that a final storm is coming. When we, when we will all stand before God to give an account, we don't like to think about that very much, but that's coming. The, the building projects of our lives will be put to the test. And if we, if we're not standing there with Jesus as our defense, it won't, we won't stand. So in, in Matthew's gospel, right here at the end, same kind of spot as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, just before his account of the wise and foolish builders, Jesus says this. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. Didn't we do that, Lord? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. And Thomas Aquinas, in his classic, The Imitation of Christ, he's, he puts the warning this way, sort of building off of this. He says, To many, the saying, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me seems hard, but it will be much harder to hear that final word Depart from me, for I never knew you. See, life with Jesus is hard work. That, I mean, no, the point couldn't be clearer from this text. It will be costly in some very real ways. But to get to the end of things and hear these words from Jesus, depart from me, I didn't know you. I mean, nothing could be harder than that. Because to know Jesus and not do what he actually says is to not really know Jesus at all. He's clear on that. And to not know Jesus is a total loss. There's no help for you at that point in the end. It's the absolute worst thing that can happen to us, to all of us. If we miss out on him, if we ignore him, if we disobey him, if we fail to trust him, if we trust in anything other than him, nothing else matters. It will be washed away in the end. So what, what is it that Jesus wants us to do here with this story? Why is he, I mean, is it just to feel bad? <laughs> do we all feel bad? <laughs> I know I feel this, I feel the weight of this warning here in this text. What, is, what does this foundation really all boil down to? It's that Jesus says, trust me and obey me. It's like the old hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If we're going to say to him, Lord, Lord, We must be a community of people who put into practice his words and his way. And something powerful happens when you you do that, when you begin to practice the life that Jesus offers. You begin to repent for the deep sin in your heart. You start to see how broken even your motivations can be. You see more clearly your need for the firm foundation of of Jesus and his words and his way of life. There's a moment in the life of a Jesus follower when you realize you are no longer just obeying Jesus because you have to, because he tells you to, because you think that's how you're going to survive in the end. No, because you want to, because you're convinced it's actually a better life now. It's the good life now. And if that's you, I encourage you to keep digging down to that foundation daily, every day, do it. And if that's not you, this morning, if if you have not or are not trusting Jesus and obeying him, that life, the good life, the life that can withstand the storm, is available to you now, today. Jesus wants, he wants you to call him Lord. He wants to know you because he he loves you. And he wants you to build a life that will last in the end, that can stand. So, may we, friends, may we do this work together Sabbath and generosity. Forgiveness, extending mercy towards those who have hurt us. That's hard, but it's worth it. Hospitality, showing the generous welcome of Jesus to every person who walks through our doors. That is the good life, and we will never, will never withstand the storms of this life on our own. We can't. We don't have what it takes. But we know, we know and we, we can trust the one who can, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. A life of obedience to him is the only life that will last. Let's pray. God, thank you for warnings. <laughs> I that can be a strange thing to offer Thanksgiving for. But I know for me this week, this sermon, <laughs> this text went from being a nice story that we've made a children's song out of and that I can understand. It's come from that to really causing me to ask, am I... Am I obeying you? Am I trusting you enough to do what you've said to do? Do I really believe that's the good life now and that it is the life that will last forever? God, I, I thank you for the work you've done in my heart, and I pray that you do it in the hearts of our my friends here. And, for us as a community of people who want to follow you, who want to know you, who want to hear a very different word spoken over us at the end of things. Not depart from me, but well done, good and faithful servant. We want to be those kinds of people. So shape us, inform us, convict us, encourage us. As we continue to worship, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.